This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, we're very accustomed to speaking of laws in the physical order. I mean those predictable patterns discernible within nature. It's simply a law that objects fall and move according to the law or force of gravity. It's simply a law that energy is equal to the mass times the square of the speed of light. It's simply a law that a rainbow will manifest itself according to the color spectrum of red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. For some reason, I remember that from my, from my high school years. These laws simply name the way things are in nature. There are laws, too, perhaps a, a bit less stringent and easily knowable, that govern human affairs and activities. Think of the law of supply and demand that orders so much of economic activity within a market economy. Or think of the principles of the psyche studied by any decent psychiatrist or counselor. Think, too, of the pretty strict laws that determine the way someone gets through an addiction according to the 12-step program. You know, if someone balks at that, they say, well, these are just the laws that we've discerned by which someone moves through uh, this process. Or think, again, to use my uh, favorite and probably overused example of uh, golf, think of all the laws that govern a correct swinging of the golf club. You know, you're working with a a decent teacher. He's going to fill you with laws about how this notoriously difficult athletic move uh, works. See, here's my point. When it comes to laws... We don't really speak of fair or unfair. We say, well, that's just the way it is. I mean, like it or not. If someone disobeys every command of his golf teacher and he continues to hit dreadful shots, we might shake our heads and say, well, maybe you should just try another game. (laughs) Or if somebody just keeps driving their car off a cliff and they wonder why it goes down, I mean... Uh, the only person to blame here is you for ignoring the laws of nature. Well, there are laws that govern the spiritual order. Now, again, not quite like physical laws, which are fairly easy to uh, determine. These are a bit trickier. But nevertheless, they exist. And great teachers and masters of the spiritual life have discerned them. You know what's interesting to me is uh, in the period before modernity arises, the greatest minds gave themselves precisely to this. Think of the spiritual masters and the theologians, the philosophers. They were using their finely uh, honed minds to determine the laws that govern the spiritual order. Now, after the rise of modernity, almost everybody turned to the sciences. Okay, there are all sorts of reasons for that, and thank God for the sciences. But 
there are laws as well in the spiritual order. And they were searched out by some of the greatest thinkers we've had. Well, our gospel today, I think, is a beautiful explication of the most fundamental law in the spiritual life. The greatest pattern in the spiritual order. And I would call it, following John Paul II, the law of the gift. Here's how it runs. It's a bit here like the... um, uh, Einstein's uh, formula, you know, E equals MC squared. You can, you can express it in a pithy little formula. The divine life increases in you in the measure that you give it away. Let me just say that again. Think of it as like E equals MC squared or the law that governs the, the falling bodies and so on. The divine life increases in you in the measure that you give it away. Now, there's a very, very clear foundation for this law, namely the fact that God himself exists in gift form. God is the one who gives. God's whole being is forgiving. Think of the play of the Trinitarian persons. The Father forgetting himself in love for the Son. The Son forgetting himself in love for the Father. The Holy Spirit, nothing but the mutual self-forgetting of Father and Son. Think of creation as this great overflowing of the divine love. God's whole manner of being is giving. Therefore, as I've said before to you, the divine life can be had only on the fly. What I mean is, as you receive it as a gift— you must give it away as a gift. Then you get more. That's the law. You receive the divine life, you take it in, it can only exist in gift form. Therefore, you give it away as a grace. And then you find it increasing in you 30, 60, and 100-fold, as the gospel has it. Adam and Eve and all their descendants, up to the present day, make the opposite move. Grasping at godliness means I'm going to seize the divine life for myself. I'm going to make it my possession. I'm going to hang on to it. Now, see, here's the law. In the measure that you do that, you turn it into something other than the divine life, which is precisely why you lose it. Do you get that? It's beginning to end of the Bible. That story is told over and again. You seize the divine life and make it your own possession. You try to. You ipso facto lose it because that's not what the divine life is. Okay. As with other laws, you can balk at this. You can complain about it. You can find it difficult. You can find it counterintuitive. But friends... Trust me on this, it's just the way things are. It's just the way it works spiritually. You know, Ken, golf. Golfers know that so many of the laws of golf are counterintuitive. You know, you want to hit it far, swing easy. You want to make the ball go up in the air, hit down on it, etc. There's all kinds of examples of this in golf. Why are we surprised then 
There's something counterintuitive about these spiritual laws. Do you want to have the divine life? Uh Uh-huh. Well, then give it away. Do you want to be happy? Stop worrying about your own happiness. Make someone else happy. Cliché, maybe. But see, clichés are grounded in, uh, in deep intuitions. Counterintuitive? Yeah, maybe, but so it goes. Now, I'm saying all this because the parable that Jesus tells in today's gospel is a very clear showing of this fundamental law. And see, the very severity of the story, how often, by the way, in Matthew's gospel you find this, there's something very severe about the way Jesus tells these parables and stories. But the severity of it is meant to clue us in to the law-like character of what's being described. You know, when you're trying to put a law in someone's mind, often you use language like that that's clear and, and uh, severe and absolute. So we have it here. The pattern of this story is, is pretty standard. There's an owner and a master, obviously God, who has a number of servants, ourselves. He's going on a journey, but before he goes, he entrusts them with talents. One with five, one with two, and a third with one. Okay, so that's all of us now vis-a-vis God. What are the talents in this allegory? What do they mean? I would say they are particular shares in the divine life. They are participations in grace. See, one thing we should notice right away, and this is spiritually very important, talents are not given out equally. And so it goes in life, doesn't it? Some people have more beauty, more ability, more intelligence, more opportunity, etc. than others. Okay. You see, in part what the parable is telling us is, so what? It's not a competition. The point is to do what you can with what you have. Some get five, some get two, some get one. Okay, that's the way it goes in life. But we're not competing with each other. We're meant to do what we can with what we have. And so the first servant invests the talents. Now, we're in kind of an economic setting here, which is a a good uh, analogy for this law I'm talking about. Because it means he risked them. He gave them away on the open market, and he received a return on his investment. Thereby doubled it. Second servant did the same, and he also doubled his investment. Now, it's important to note, though the economic is being used here as a point of comparison, we shouldn't overstate the comparison. For in the economic order, investments are risky. They can go bad. But see, in the spiritual order, whatever is given away in a spirit of true love always comes back to the giver multiplied. See, it's, it's not risky in the same way that economics are risky. I can guarantee you that. Whatever is given away in true love comes back to the giver multiplied. Now, mind you, this might not show up as a worldly benefit. Don't say, well, hey, I was generous in love, therefore I deserve a Maserati, or I'm going to get a nice house. Or No, I don't mean it in a worldly way. It'll show up, though, indeed, and I'll guarantee it, as a spiritual gain. Now, the third servant, the guy who got the one talent, buries it. 
hoping thereby to guarantee he can return it to his master, right, when the, when the uh, master returns. Well, when the owner returns, he praises the first two. Now, why? Because they've gotten it. In terms of the allegory, they've understood the dynamics at play in the spiritual realm. They got the law of the gift. That's why they're being praised. Not because of the petty little money they happen to make. That's, that's uh, indifferent. They got the law. But he upbraids the third servant because he has rather thoroughly not gotten it. The one thing you cannot do with the divine life is cling to it. For in the very act of clinging, it ceases to be the divine life. The worst thing you can do is bury it away and say, I will make it my own little private possession. That's precisely how you lose it. See, and that's why in the parable, the owner takes it away from the man. He's not just being cruel here. Don't read it that way. Because what, is, he's, what he's telling him is what is clung to spiritually is actually lost. What did Jesus say? The one who would save his life will lose it, while the one who risks his life for my sake will find it. That's the law of the gift. And this parable is a kind of imaginary narrative presentation of that gift. So the question is, how do we live? What do we do with the talents God has given us? If we try to make them our own, guarantee you it's a law like gravity, like relativity. It's a law. You will squander them, period. If you give them away in a spirit of love, they will grow and grow and grow. I guarantee you it's the law. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Four years in the making, and it's finally here. Our new Catholicism documentary series, book, and study program are now available to order online at catholicismseries.com. Will you help me introduce this epic film series to your parish, school, family, and friends? Catholicism is an unprecedented adventure around the world and deep into the faith. Learn more at catholicismseries.com or call 1-866-928-1237. That's 1-866-928-1237.